Welcome to Notes from the Electronic Cottage. I'm Jim Campbell. A few weeks ago, we celebrated Banned Books Week here in the U.S. It may surprise some folks to know that there are still efforts, and lots of them, around the country to ban or remove books from schools or libraries or even bookstores. The reasons given are legion, but at bottom they come down to one thing. Some people think that no one should have the right to read material that those people find objectionable. This happens all over the country, dozens or even hundreds of times a year. Just what are these books? Are they, as some would-be book banners claim, just filth that no decent person should look at, especially children? Well, the American Library Association has made a list of the hundred most challenged books of the past decade. You can find it by searching for a hundred most banned books in your search engine. We'll also put a link to the list on the page for today's program in the Public Affairs Archive at www.weru.org. There are a lot of familiar titles on that list. For example, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Bluest Eye, Brave New World, Of Mice and Men, even The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, as well as the Captain Underpants series of kids' books. Take a look, see what you think. And don't imagine this only happens in other places. Recall that not so long ago, there was an actual public book burning of Harry Potter novels in Lewiston that went along with an effort to get those books removed from libraries and schools. Banned Books Week was three weeks ago. This week, we celebrate a related issue, but from a hopefully more positive perspective. It's Free Speech Week in the U.S. You can find out all about it at www.freespeechweek.org. From that website, quote, Free Speech Week is a yearly event to raise public awareness of the importance of freedom of speech and of the press in our democracy, and to celebrate that freedom. As freedom of speech and the press are rights all Americans share, this nonpartisan, non-ideological event is intended to be a unifying celebration. End quote. That is a laudable goal, and in these anything-but-unified times, a challenging endeavor. Take a look at all the partners participating in Free Speech Week. It's an impressive list. And one is even located here in Maine, the First Amendment Museum in Augusta. That organization has set up a fun and interesting interactive website with photos for users to caption, and has even set up situations in which users get to be the judge in cases in which free speech is the central issue. The site is at firstamendmentmuseum.org. It's worth a look for folks young and old. So, you might reasonably ask, interesting as all this is, what does it have to do with the digital domain, which is, after all, the domain of the electronic cottage? Fair question. The United States has probably the most absolute legal tradition for what can be freely spoken of any country in the world. The First Amendment has lived in practice and through Supreme Court legal decisions over 200 plus years, has always leaned toward the maxim that the answer to bad speech is more speech. In other words, if someone says something untrue or hurtful, but not illegal, 
The remedy is to respond to that speech with more speech that offers different perspectives or proof that the other speech is untrue. There are exceptions in law for speech that, for example, defames private individuals, or for situations such as falsely yelling fire in a crowded theater, which creates an imminent danger of physical harm. But by and large, more speech has been the preferred response in this country to even the vile or patently untrue speech. The question in our current world is, what does free speech mean in today's digital world? When a clear falsehood can spread to a million people in an hour and cause a riot, as has been the case in India and several other countries, or affect an election result, as has happened in several countries, do we fall back on our tradition of more speech as the answer to bad or false speech? That is a big question in the age of Facebook and Twitter and Google and TikTok, none of which, by the way, are bound by the First Amendment, which is the basis of our freedom of speech and of the press. As a quick reminder, here's the text of the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. End quote. Note, Congress shall make no law. And through the 14th Amendment, that is extended to all levels of government in this country right down to the local town council. But Facebook is not Congress. It can prohibit certain speech if it wishes, as can Twitter or any other private company or organization. An employer can, and by the way, many do. So can an Elks Lodge or any other private social group. When we hear, as we have from all sorts of folks these days, that Facebook or Twitter or any other digital outfit has, quote, violated my First Amendment rights, end quote, we need to point out that that is simply not true. It might be accurate to say that Twitter, for example, removed my tweet and in doing so did not act in the spirit of the First Amendment's tradition of freedom of speech. That's fine. That's accurate. But only government, not a private party, can actually violate First Amendment rights. So what can an aggrieved person do? In our current system of supposedly free market capitalism, our response to behavior of a private party that we don't like is to take our business elsewhere. The problem with that approach is that, practically speaking, in our digital age, there may be nowhere else to take our business that can provide the same service. That fact has given rise to many calls, screams actually, that Congress do something about digital giants who, on the one hand, have the ability to quickly disseminate hateful or false speech, and, on the other hand, have the ability to remove speech that they find does not meet their terms of service. There has been no satisfactory response from Congress, or anyone else, thus far. That's why we'll take the next few episodes to explore the question of what free speech, being celebrated this week, actually means in our current digital world, right here 
on future editions of Notes from the Electronic Cottage.